How do I know what to say when someone is grieving? You're listening to Psychology in 10 Minutes. I'm David B. Feldman. Each year, I teach a class on grief and loss to master's students studying to become counselors. On the first day of class, I give them a simple assignment. Jot down a few sentences about your biggest fears and concerns regarding working with clients facing losses. The overwhelming answer I receive comes in the form of a simple question. How will I know what to say? And if I say the wrong thing, will I make things worse? Keep in mind that these are people in training to become therapists. In most situations, they have no problem thinking of what to say. But when it comes to things like serious illness and death, they find themselves at a loss for words. And they're not alone. According to a recent survey of certified nursing assistants and home health aides, approximately a third of respondents said they felt unprepared for what to say, do, and even feel in the aftermath of a patient's death. If you've ever had a friend lose someone they love, a grandparent, parent, partner, or even a child, you may have wondered the same thing. Should you say, I'm sorry? After all, it wasn't your fault. What about everything will be all right? The truth is, in some sense, it might not be. You could always say, my condolences, but somehow this sounds overly formal. So what should you say? According to psychologist Charles Garfield, founder of The Shanti Project, a volunteer-powered organization that cares for the needs of seriously ill and dying people. That's just the wrong question to ask. I think the question, what is the right thing to say, is a terrible question. (laughs) I think it's the wrong question, even though you hear it asked all the time. There is no right thing, as if it's a programmed text, as if there's the right thing in all times and places. He told me during an interview on KPFA's About Health program. Instead, he advises we should be focusing more on listening. I wish I wish I could do something to take it all away, but I can't. What I can do is listen and talk to you and talk to you as honestly as I possibly can about what's going on. And if you'd like to do that, if that's something that's uh, attractive to you, then count me in. I'm with you. But unless we're therapists, none of us were trained to listen in this way. In fact, listening can feel downright scary sometimes, and it's tempting to rush in and try to say something that will fix the situation. When it comes to loss, however, fixing is impossible. Instead, we can only be with the bereaved person in the reality that their loved one will never return. Garfield proposes four steps that can help us access our ability to do this. Step number one. Stop at the threshold. It's easy to get caught up in our feelings. The hustle and bustle of the day, the stresses of work, our misgivings about ourselves. We have busy lives, and we're often coming off of traffic jams, deadlines, and to-do lists. We can't just race into a conversation with someone in pain and think we can shut all of that out and be good listeners. Instead, we must flip our minds into a different mode. Not one of doing, solving, and fixing, but instead one of deep listening, 
The best way to do this is to take a few minutes to pause, breathe, and quiet our minds. Garfield writes in his book, Life's Last Gift, quote, Remind yourself why you've come. It's not to impose an agenda. It's not to make the whole situation go away. You can't. Unquote. Instead, you're there to show love and support, to find out what is needed. Step number two, get close and make contact. The next step is actually to begin the conversation. There are many right ways to do this, and the specific words probably don't matter as much as the general message, I'm here for you. So, keep it simple. Start with something like, how are you? How are things going for you today? Then, take your cues from how the person responds. Maybe they'd like to talk about something light and distracting, the upcoming ball game, family gossip, or the runny eggs they had for breakfast. Alternatively, they may be ready to talk about the pain they're going through, or stories about the person they've lost. Either way, follow their lead. Step number three. Keep returning to the topic whenever you drift. Deep listening is a bit like meditating. In meditation, people are encouraged to focus on a single stimulus, often their breathing. When distracting thoughts arise, meditators acknowledge these thoughts with compassion and then let them go, returning to the breath. In deep listening, our minds just as easily can wander. Garfield writes, quote, Your thoughts will likely range far and wide. I'm so scared. What do I do? Why is this happening? How much longer do I have to stay? I have no idea what to say. I can't stand another minute of this. Unquote. This is totally normal. And just like in meditation, when this happens, and it will happen many times, we can gently bring our focus back to the person we're trying to help. Step number four. Remember to keep breathing. It takes real courage to support someone going through pain. The natural human temptation is to run away from pain. But when we truly care about someone, we overcome that tendency, opening ourselves up to their feelings instead. It's important not to get too caught up in their feelings, however. This fourth step is about reminding ourselves that even though we're there to support the grieving person, we're separate from them. Their pain is not our pain. Another grief expert, psychologist Dale Larson, suggests that people can easily fall into what he calls the helper's pit. When someone is going through a loss, it's normal and natural for them to fall into a sort of pit of despair. But as we reach down into that pit to help them, we should remind ourselves not to fall in with them. Garfield suggests using our breath as a sort of tether. Quote, if you find that you're lost in your own reactions, he writes, take a few slow breaths to help clear your mind and bring your focus back to the other person. Unquote. Even while you're with that person, be in your own body with your own breath. Know that you can best help others when you are grounded within yourself. Perhaps all this advice can be summarized best with these words from Garfield's book. Quote, There is one promise that people need to hear more than any other 
from those who love and care about them. I choose to be with you in a healing partnership. I will stand with you in the midst of despair. Unquote. Doing so is never easy, of course, but it's also one of the most important things any of us can do for the people in our lives. And that was Psychology in 10 Minutes. Thanks for spending the last 10 minutes with me today. I wonder if I could ask you for a little favor. Could you spend just two minutes more writing a brief review of this show on iTunes? Your reviews really help other people to find this show in search results, ultimately helping us to bring this content to people who need it. Thanks for listening.